0: The following program is part of the Inner Circle Podcasting Group. Go to innercirclecomics.com for more high-quality podcasts. This podcast is brought to you by the Eisner Award-winning Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha, Nebraska, and by listeners like you. Go to twoheadednerd.com and click Donate Now to become a supporter.
1: I'm LeVar Burton. I have always said that if your kid likes superheroes, then damn it, buy your kids' comic books. (laughs) You are listening to The Two-Headed Nerd with Joe and Matt. Sort of break it it down like good.
0: Broadcasting from the Ziggurat at Omaha, deep below the metro area. It is our pleasure to welcome you to THN episode 252, where we are talking comics and nerd news for the week of Wednesday, April 20th or My name is Matt Bomb. I'm glad you clarified you I wouldn't have that. You can find me at Matt Bombstein on Twitter. And when I'm not roasting an orange crush kush and Morning Prince's death while ignoring my wife's birthday this Earth Day, I'm writing the Comic Speculator blog for WorthPoint.com. Worth Earth Day, I Earth I got day? through
1: birthday and Earth
0: Day and screwed up Worth Point.
1: <laughs> and my name is Joe Patrick. That's at on 116 on the Twitter. And when I'm not fending off Matt's attempts to tempt me with the devil leaf marijuana, I'm still reminiscing about my days as the former manager of Legend Comics and Coffee in Omaha Nebraska. In this week's episode, you will hear our in-depth
0: reviews of Department H, which I never even looked at it and went, I
1: know, right? Depth.
0: Depth. Got it. (laughs) I never even looked at it and saw that. And Joyride, number one. After that, We'll review 10 more of this week's comics faster than Captain Planet can come out of the closet during the ludicrous speed round. Then we'll visit the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where we're communing with the Purple Yoda who has transcended death and wants to talk about our picks for next week's comics. And finally we're going to review a book with way more than 32 pages during our Take a Look. At least triple. It's in a book segment where we're reviewing Jason McNamara and Greg Hinkle's The Rattler. But before we start recycling the contents of our new eco toilets, let's offer up a blood sacrifice of Justin Bieber, Donald Trump, Kanye West, and the entire extended Kardashian family to stop 2016's reaping of our most talented performers. And then... We'll talk about this week's big
1: news. We got big news.
0: All right. Well, should we do the bad news first or the good news first? Let's start with the news out of DC comics. All right. <laughs> all right. All right. <laughs> Which seems to write itself on a weekly basis. Yeah,
1: it kind of does. <laughs> DC comics this week has announced that it's longtime imprint. Vertigo is undergoing major changes in direction and focus, including the removal of Shelley Bond and her position as vice president slash executive editor. Additionally, DC co-publishers, Jim Lee and Dan DiDio will now directly oversee Vertigo and its staffers. I'm sure that's going to work out great. Yeah. I mean, they've been so great so far. Bond was hired as an assistant editor for Vertigo one month into the imprint's 1993 formation by then executive editor, Karen Berger, who got ousted in the last Vertigo reorganization, <laughs> yep. and if she didn't get ousted. She quit yep. after she got demoted. And Bond grew to become one of Vertigo's senior editors, ultimately assuming Berger's role as executive editor when Berger left in 2013. She was one of numerous New York-based employees who relocated to California following Warner Brothers' shifting of DC's offices to Burbank. DC sounded a typical press release talking about how difficult the decision was and how thankful they were for Bond's many years of service. Yeah, they really sounded like we didn't want to do it. And well, they don't. Yeah, (laughs) It's that painful. (laughs) All, All things being totally fair. The reason for the decision is very simple. Vertigo books have been losing money for quite a while.
0: Yeah, the sales are in the toilet.
1: According to The Beat, rumors of yet another restructuring at Vertigo have been swirling for some time now. But... The fact that Bond was fired after more than 20 years of loyal service, instead of, I don't know, being reassigned or moved, yeah, uh, has had an unintended consequence. Well,
0: before we get into that, let's talk about Shelly Bond for a second. The bigger story here is that DC is a comics company, first and foremost. Their job is to sell comics. And as their numbers have gone down, Vertigo has gone down with them. But... Vertigo numbers were always lower because they typically sold Vertigo books in trade. That's where Vertigo made money.
1: Right. And that's actually a little bit bonds removal has nothing to do with what we're about to talk about. No, But I think part of the anger about bonds just outright dismissal is the fact that this new wave of Vertigo books hasn't even had a chance to perform in trade form.
0: That's exactly where I'm going with this. Now, as they got further and further away from series like Fables and Why the Last Man, which sold very well in trade, but really didn't sell that well in single issues. They haven't even had the trade sales they used to have, and their numbers are in the toilet. Now, I'm not saying that is necessarily Shelley Bond's fault, because these are good comics, but DC has not marketed Vertigo whatsoever. They used well, yeah. to do the $1 first issues. Yep. They quit doing that. They took the two highest selling Vertigo characters, Swamp Thing and Constantine, and removed them from Vertigo and put them in the regular DC universe where they have wallowed as well. But still, I mean, like last month, Hellblazer would have been the highest selling Vertigo book, which they canceled, which they canceled. And it wasn't a Vertigo book. It was regular DC, so it doesn't even count to their numbers. Mm -hmm. I don't think Shelley Bond is the issue here. Shelley Bond has given us. How many kick ass vertigo books in the last Shelley,
1: like you talked about Fables, Shelley Bond is responsible. Yes. for the Fables franchise. Right. And like rather than Bill- DC looking and saying,
0: okay, we have a problem with sales. What do we do here? How do we promote this stuff that is good? This isn't like the schlock that's getting canceled. It's not like the, you know, Injustice Comic uh, video game comic is which we canceled. will
1: which we will talk about in the answer of the week. People actually love that. Shit. It's true. It's true. Um I have not read it to be fair. But these
0: are really good comics that DC is not promoting, and it seems like a very corporate move to go you know, just like the NFL. Yeah. Oh, a team's not performing, fire the coach. Sure. If you don't ever, deal with the team, just cut the head off the coach and we'll put somebody else in there that can make it happen,
1: right? Right. If you ever needed a reminder that every story coming out of DC or Marvel, for that matter, no matter how good it is, is the result of a corporate need for money. Yes. This is it.
0: Yeah, right there. So, it's not that she's not putting out good books. It's not that she's not finding good talent anymore. It's that they don't know how to market it. They have no clue how well, to, they market to market it. Or they refuse to market it. Or they refuse to market it. One of the two, because in their corporate structure, this doesn't make sense anymore. These numbers are too low to care about, so... Just get rid of it, you know?
1: Right. So the immediate gut reaction is that, well, Vertigo is dead. They're just going to fold it into DC or just can it all together. Yeah. Because this happens right on the heels of them announcing that young animal thing from Gerard Way, which is Vertigo, but they didn't bother to actually put it in Vertigo. Yeah,
0: it's going to be your new Vertigo is what it's going to
1: be. So, but why didn't they just put that into the, why didn't they just brand that as Vertigo and say, look at what's happening in Vertigo?
0: Joe, they know what they're doing. You Obviously, have to trust them.
1: Young animal is Jilly what the kids want. Jim and Dan DiDio have never led us astray, you know? <laughs> ironically, ironically Shelly Bond is one of the people responsible for bringing this young animal thing to life yep. as well. So it's just a complete mishandling of this situation. And uh, in my opinion, a mistreatment of this employee that's done so much for this company. Right. And made them so much money in the past it's kind of gotten everybody's hackles up and it has reminded them. It has kind of brought up a lot of bad blood regarding some other yes. editors in the company. Uh, and that's what we're going to get in, into now. There was some outrage prompted among those who detected a pattern of powerful women getting removed from DC from positions authority, while men who have had severe HR problems have been allowed to stay The floodgates just opened literally overnight first in a stream of tweets from comic pros and journalists, then in an article on the which is a really good website. They do not hold back and everything's kind of done with like this kind of tongue in cheek snarkiness. Right. But they are like really good at no, they're legit looking at this. They're really good before long. One of the worst kept secrets in the comics industry was finally out in the open and that's that Longtime DC editor Eddie Berganza has been implicated in a series of instances of sexual harassment going back years and has been allowed to continue in a position of authority while female staffers and freelancers were dismissed, denied work, or otherwise chased away, basically. Yeah,
0: Jordi Belair.
1: Jordi Belair tweeted about this. One, about of those,
0: how one of the most talented colorists in the business.
1: Yes, and she's tweeted about how she expressed concern about working with a certain individual. And as a result of her expressing that concern, she was blocked from working.
0: Quite honestly, though, I'd much rather see her coloring at image. Sure. Of course. Totally. Absolutely. Any of the crap that's coming out of the right now. They're absolute (laughs)
1: loss. After the bandaid had been ripped off, Eisner nominated publisher and former DC editor, Janelle S. confirmed her own experiences with Braganza on Twitter saying, quote, Yes, I was one of many who reported Eddie Braganza's behavior in 2011. I left D.C. because they promoted him anyway. End quote. All of this is, uh, keep
0: in mind... All of this is alleged. I'm not saying it didn't happen. Ha ha. ha. Yeah. Alleged. Air quotes. The problem lies in the fact that there was no legal action taken.
1: Sure. And you say that it's alleged,
0: but it really kind of isn't because. I mean, no, I'm not. Again, I'm not saying it did happen. I'm saying alleged because it didn't go to court. Right. That's essentially it.
1: And there are many many reasons why at that time people that were uh, a party to these experiences did not come forward. Right. Uh, and I'm for, not blaming
0: anyone for not. No, no, for, no, for,
1: con- their, for concerns, uh, their own concerns that are perfectly well sure, justified. Sure, Um, But as uh, Alex DeCampi, a writer that we love here on the show, pointed out on her blog late last year, before we knew about specifically that it was Berganza, she pointed out, that at least one of these incidents happened publicly at a corporate social gathering with multiple witnesses. That's not alleged. That's blatant.
0: Yeah, no. I, and I, again, there's a real issue here. I don't know if it is just a straight up old boy, sexist corporate structure, or if they honestly believe they're making the right decision and firing Shelly Bond because the books aren't selling. It's hard to know. What we do know is there is an issue with Eddie Berganza. It needs to be handled. and yes. They need to get out in front of it right now and say, either we're sorry we f***ed up or lie and say we weren't aware of it. He is gone. <laughs> well, we it doesn't matter. But either way, get rid of the dude.
1: So there's a there's a whole lot more to this story that we're not going to get into here because other sites have covered it so much better than we could rich johnson is the only one that had the guts to call berganza out by name when these rumors first started circulating like four years ago yeah stories
0: like this are so goddamn discouraging but we need to keep in mind that it's not just dc comics this is the whole oh no. corporate world
1: yes and it's not just dc comics
0: and yeah. it's not just recently right like, it's easy for us to say Comics are so screwed up, but this is just a looking glass at problems that women in every field of work have.
1: Right. it's Everywhere. With comics, which is is such a much smaller and more insular community. Right. We want to believe that stuff like this doesn't happen. And also when stuff like this does happen, it hits way harder than when you find out, oh, the uh, CFO of Enron pinched a girl's booty at the Christmas party.
0: Right. This is just a mess. It's a big, ugly mess that has been drug out on the Internet in front of everyone to see. And I'm really curious to see what DC does next. I I think I don't think they can any worse from this point, (laughs) quite honestly.
1: I I think uh, I think uh, all these allegations, these incidents happened some years ago. So it's not like they just happened today. They're just coming out.
0: Right. Um, I do think it is important to remember they happened under the watch of Dan DiDio. (laughs) but it did he's i'm sorry but if we're gonna fire people that are in charge if we're gonna say okay there's a problem with sales or production or talent who's to blame it's the head guy well then they need to follow through with that and they need to remove him from power i think it's more complicated than that i'm not
1: not defending i'm not defending the deal i'm saying that we don't have a firm grasp of the corporate structure of D.C. Comics. No, we don't. And so we don't really we don't really know exactly whose call that is to make. The fact is that D.C. did reprimand Berganza and it all got taken care of internally. And apparently he went through treatment and he and give me whatever break. that means. Right. Yeah. And this is a woman. They are sort of like men. Right. Like, Give yeah. me a
0: break. Yeah.
1: But I mean, they demoted him and and things got better for a little while. But then they gave him his uh, all of his uh, authority back and they gave him back the Superman books. It's just like, you know what? No, it's not OK. It's right. not OK. And it's not OK that you covered it up. And it's not OK that he was allowed to stay and that you have reorganized. You have rebooted the entire DC universe two or three times yeah. around this sexual harasser while you have allowed women with more talent and better editorial instincts to leave or get fired or chased out. And yeah. it's and it sucks. And DC needs to get their together.
0: I'm just saying when the team up, typically the coach goes That's all I'm saying,
1: we just need to find the right coach.
0: Better news, the 2016 Eisner Award nominees were announced this week, proving once again just how little Joe and I know about the comics industry. I will say this, so many Canadian creators. <laughs> Canada kicked America's ass this year in Eisner nominees. It's Go Canada. Crazy. You can find the full list over at ComicCon.org. Awards backslash yeah, 2016. Yeah. Just go to comiccon.org. Go to it. comiccon.org and you'll find it. It is a list of amazingly talented people, as usual, and uh, we are embarrassed that we have not read
1: Right. More and them. we're not going to get into it right now because it's only going to illustrate that we don't read so many of those books. The, the comic industry is so much bigger right. than even what we find in the previews catalog. When the winners are announced at Comic Con, we'll have a conversation about about that then. But for now, good job, guys. Congrats to all the nominees. We'll see you in July. Let's get to the real news. Yeah. Not these talented suckers winning Oscars. Let's talk about the (laughs) (laughs) Hanna-Barbera film universe. (laughs) Okay. Uh, According to The Hollywood Reporter, Hasbro and Paramount Pictures have assembled a writer's room to plot the course for its integrated Hasbro cinematic universe comprised of G.I. Joe, ROM, Visionaries, Micronauts, and Mask. According to the Hollywood Reporter, no gator golf, by the way, really, Paramount <laughs> is planning a Hasbro cinematic universe. I think that kind of got glossed over no, in the news. No pig pong. Come on. <laughs> Apparently, it's because we just can't have movies anymore. What we about got to the have to have a battle beasts? What about the air Raiders? <laughs> Let's get them all in there. The group features a number of men and women familiar to the movie biz. We won't really list all their names, but you've probably heard of some of them. Maybe not all of them. But it also includes two of the most respected comic and prose fiction writers of our time, Brian K. Vaughn and Michael Chabon. I cannot even picture what the check looks like that they wrote these Do you guys.
0: think it's comically large? Like I would assume so. I would assume so. Against okay, the so-
1: ghost of Ed McMahon carried it up. <laughs> This gigantic check. Uh, So for those of you that don't know, uh, Michael Chabon wrote the wonderful novel, The Amazing Adventures of Cavalier and Clay. It's a Pulitzer Prize winning novel. (laughs) Uh, I still have Matt's copy. It was inspired by the lives of Superman creators Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. They have made comics. It's the sort of book that was so beloved that not only did they make comic books. uh, Here's a quote. We first and foremost put together a list of writers who we wanted to be in business with and could be the world builders that we needed, said Hasbro's chief creative officer, Stephen Davis. But we wanted to be sure that in the room, we have diverse perspectives, diverse backgrounds and diverse experiences. Female empowerment is a central theme through a lot of these properties.
0: Yeah, you know, like mask GI Joe. G.I. Joe, sure, but, I mean, everybody else is kind of a bunch of dudes. I think there was ladies in mask. No, it was all dudes. Screenwriter Akiva Goldsman is going to oversee the group and act as executive producer, as he did on the recent Transformers writing room. It's going to be great. Now... I'm pretty sure Chabon and brian k period vaughn nothing to do with transformers <laughs> no no no. <laughs> not the only reason it sucked but and definitely look, a good I mean, reason why it sucked.
1: we've talked about this before uh, screenwriters churn out lots of scripts sure all the time sure. and just because their names on a thing doesn't mean that they're bad at their job uh akiva gold's goldsmith goldsman i'm sure has written good movies though i think that he did write batman and robin <laughs>
0: Okay, so Akiva Goldsman, let's go with his producer credits, because that's when he really got into his own and got to make incredible movies like Paranormal Activity 2, 3, and 4. Yeah. Jonah Hex. Oh, yeah. The Losers adaptation. Hancock, which was not good with Will Smith. The first half of Hancock is great. (laughs) I Am Legend was pretty good. He worked on, he's working on, oh, Constantine. We liked that. That was fun. Starsky and Hutch was fun. Here's Deep a, blue
1: sea. Yeah, Here, here's a list of his screenwriting credits. He wrote Batman Forever and Batman and Robin. Ooh. He wrote the Lost in Space movie. Ooh. Uh, he wrote I uh, Robot. That was terrible. He wrote, but he wrote A Beautiful
0: Mind. Beautiful Mind was pretty good. They took out all the gay Cinderella stuff. Cinderella Man. Cinderella Man was yeah. Cinderella the Man. The Da good. Vinci Code. I did not care for that. And he adapted a book. Well, sure. He didn't write it. Um,
1: and I think he's he was one of the main guys on Fringe, the TV show Fringe.
0: He wrote 12 episodes. He's working currently on The Dark Tower, Transformers 6, and Transformers 7. And Transformers 8. And let's not forget the I Am Legend reboot.
1: <laughs> and untitled Transformers spin-off. Oh, man. What is it, like Bumblebee in the hood or what? <laughs> so, all right. So, Akiva Goldsman, yes, very hit and miss, but he has had a hand in some good projects. This is just... It's friggin' bonkers. I don't know
0: what to make of it. And I understand everybody wants that sweet, sweet Avengers money, but come on, guys, (laughs) this is really pushing it. (laughs) Uh, The good good news is there are two names we recognize and very much trust that are working on this. I mean, so bizarre. Let's see what happens, I guess. Do I want to enjoy a G.I. Joe movie? Sure. I absolutely do.
1: I, I mean, don't we even, all do. Come on. I don't even know how you tie the visionaries in to, to mask. Or to f***ing Micronauts? Or to ROM. Yeah, like, what is that? It's going to take a really
0: weird supernatural turn. And sci-fi. And military. And <laughs> like, whoa! <laughs> how would you like to be in charge of this f***ing hodgepodge?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> that is the big news for this week. If you'd like to discuss these stories and everything you think we missed, hit us up on the big news section of the THN forums where Joe and I are shopping our Hungry Hungry Hippos script, the story of four hippos desperately dealing with their weight problems and the one brave light bright that changed their lives. It's all connected. (laughs) Every Sunday, the most talented gator golfer in the game, Joe Patrick, posts the question of the week at the coolest place on the internet, the THN forums. Joe Patrick, the Tiger Woods of Gator Golf. What are we asking these nerds this week? Tiger, before you know the yeah, Thanksgiving know. affair and sure, sure. No,
1: I appreciate that. Back when he was good. <laughs> I got, thank you. Thanks for clarifying. Yeah. This week's question comes from the Nomad Damon Chan. On uh, well, he's the Nomad on the forums. Our man on the streets, Damon Chan. Yeah. Who writes? Quote, but that's what nomads do. They walk around. That's right. We've all seen occasional intercompany crossovers, i.e. Batman Predator, Superman, Spider-Man, Archie Punisher, etc. Based on that premise, what character would you like to see make a permanent relocation from one company to another? Ooh, I would love to see Angela come over from the pages of image to <laughs> marvel i bet it would be a huge seller that was his oh. example <laughs> bonus points for explaining how said character would fit in their new universe i'm gonna add to that and say extra bonus double points if it's just freaking hilarious okay it doesn't have to be serious
0: like she turns out she's thor's sister
1: yeah or yeah right, right. obviously right. something patently ridiculous yeah no that
0: makes perfect sense
1: That's a good question, Damon. Thank you. You have until 5 p.m. Central Standard Time this coming Friday, April 29th, to get us your answer. You can call the Ziggurat Hotline 402-819-4894 and leave a message. Or, if you're not too busy transporting from one universe to another, you can send an mp3 to twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Whatever you do, keep it under two minutes. You'll get cut off. If you need more time than that, feel free to write your full answer in the question of the week section of the THN Web Forums. That's where all this happens. This is where this question it's came It's the from. coolest place on the internet. And then tune in next Thursday to hear you and your fellow listeners on the THN Answer of the Week podcast.
0: It's review time in the Ziggurat, where we read and discuss two of this week's new comics and rate them on our buy it, skim it, or leave it scale. Then we tear them into small strips, soak them in water, and fold them gently into our worm compost. Joe, what did you review this week? Is that a weed thing? No. Worm compost is a, you know, how you compost your garbage for your garden and stuff. Oh, okay. Yeah. All but right. you could grow weed in worm compost. <laughs> okay.
1: There we go. My main review this week is Department H, number one from Dark Horse Comics, written by Matt Kint, with art by Matt and Charlene Kint. She spells it like I would imagine a Southern belle would spell Charlene. Okay. S-H-A-R-L-E-N-E. Charlene. Charlene. It's thirty-two pages for three ninety-nine. Sorry, I don't know where that came from.
0: You sure are pretty, girl, Charlene, M- Mrs.
1: Kent. I'm, you are a very talented person, Would and you I respect go with you. Me to the youth rodeo. <laughs> I just like your name, is all. <laughs> Who killed the smartest man on Earth? Mia is a special investigator hired to uncover possible sabotage taking place at a deep sea research station. What she finds is a mind-blowing crime scene filled with suspects with terrible secrets, strange deep sea creatures. <laughs> And an impending flood. I've been a fan of Matt Kent since his debut in 2001 with the Pistol Whip graphic novels. We reviewed the complete Pistol Whip hardcover in episode 214 of this very podcast. I let myself lose track of mind management like I said last week on the show, and I kick myself every time I think about it. Here, Kent trades in the sci-fi conspiracy of his last project and returns to the genre of his original work. Department H is a locked room murder mystery set at the bottom of the ocean in a place where the killer couldn't possibly have escaped unnoticed. Mia is an investigator with a personal connection to the case, and we learn about that connection during her journey to the station through a series of flashbacks. Mia's interest lies in the exploration of space, so she has really no business going on this trip, but her ties to the station and its crew make her uniquely suited to solve the crime. Kent infuses each member of this large cast with plenty of unique personality. Some of them are weird. Some of them are scary. Some of them hate Mia due to past history, and any one of them could be the murderer. The details of the crime and Mia's connection to it unfold over the course of the issue, expertly hooking the reader with the last page. Matt Kent's art style is flat out weird. There's no denying it, but I happen to love his
0: bizarre style. I think this is some of the best stuff we've seen from him yet. It's beautiful. Yeah, it's amazing.
1: Everything he draws looks so damn interesting that I find myself poring over every panel. His sequential storytelling is brilliant. He uses every bit of the page, like when he inserts flashback moments in between panels.
0: Yeah, it's weird.
1: When Mia is at the bottom of the ocean in her weird deep sea diving suit, the details of the case surround her in several tiny panels, almost crushing in on her like the vastness of the ocean that's weighing down upon her. Here, Kent is joined by his wife, Charlene, and according to the back matter, Charlene taught Matt everything he knows about watercolor, and man, does it show. She's an incredible watercolor artist. This book is washed in a beautiful palette of blues and grays that bring the world beneath the ocean to life in a way that Kent's deceptively simple line work couldn't do on its own. And then we get to the undersea station with its garish oranges and browns and reds, and it makes the setting look alien like the station and the people in it have no business being in that environment. The visuals in this comic are just stunning. As with Mind Management, Kent promises to include extra material for fans that support the book from month to month, which sounds like a great value add incentive. I'm not sure exactly if there was anything in this issue. There was the, the introduction at the back. I mean,
0: I guess we really don't know until we see the trade. So
1: yeah, this was tense and compelling and gorgeous. I couldn't put it down. Yeah. I'm not going to make the same mistake here that I did with mind management. I'm giving department H a huge buy it.
0: Totally same. I, I, I love this. It's a little more dialed down than his mind management where it doesn't seem like he's developing an entire universe. He's telling a different story that is encompassed. In this very small undersea laboratory. Yeah. So I'm curious to see what he can do with that. It's an excellent mystery with excellent art. The book looked so good. Huge buy it from yeah, me. Yeah, it was gorgeous.
1: Matt Bomb, why don't you take us on a joyride? Woo! I decided to review
0: Joyride number one from Boom, written by Jackson Lansing and Colin Kelly, with art by Marcus II. Marcus Toe? I, I just wanted you to correct me again. Okay. <laughs> 32 pages for $3.99. For those of you who don't recognize the writers' names, Lansing and Kelly are the team that just took over the Grayson title at DC, just in time for it to be rebirthed into Nightwing (laughs) with a completely different creative team. There's plenty of dystopian sci-fi comics on the shelves, and this is one of them. But unlike the others, Joyride isn't a dark, brooding look at teens suffering under the boot heel of a fascist government. Don't get me wrong, that's happening too. In this future, the pro-human world government has built a steel shell around the Earth to protect humanity from evil aliens out there in the universe, thereby blocking the view of the sun and stars. There is a constant flow of human propaganda on every info feed, and everyone is forced to join the military to defend Earth at a very young age. Sounds bleak, right? Here's where Joyride stands apart. The main character, Uma Acolyte, is not only defiant in planning her escape from Earth, she's one of the happiest and most positive characters I've encountered in comics in quite a while. Uma and her boyfriend, dude I think that's how you say it. I just called him Dude. Yeah, I did too. (laughs) They aren't sulking, angry terrorists, but instead Uma is a smiling, fearless leader that Dude follows because he's desperately in love with her. There's a little future jargon here, but it never wanders into the Anakin, that's so wizard, grown worthy dialogue. Marcus Toe creates a stunning vision of future Earth that reminded me of classic anime and manga like Space Battleship Yamato and Battle
1: of the yes, Planets. That last page. Absolutely. With the ship flying away from the Earth, and you get to see oh, yeah. the backside of the moon and like how the shell just goes around to like half of the moon. So cool. And then the ship is coming around it. I was like, that is from a cartoon I saw when I was kid. Totally. His characters have a manga inspired thin line look, but again,
0: in more of a classic Robotech style. Toe does a wonderful job making Uma's face glow with positivity. While dude looks a little worried about her confidence. Toe carefully wove digital effects into his classic manga style flawlessly and created a slick, action-packed comic with real feeling the title joyride is perfect for this story of teenage love and rebellion in outer space there is a real joy and positivity to this story that you just don't see in sci-fi too often yeah i'm giving this a huge buy it 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 reminded the tone sort of reminded me of Reminders low without all the soul-crushing you know, like end of the earth stuff that the main character was trying to stay positive (laughs)
1: in the face. of. Okay. (laughs) All right. Sure. Yeah. I loved it. I thought it was really, really great. And it's exactly, as you said, this is a bad place. Earth is a bad place and things are not good for these people, especially these kids that are conscripted into service. And they could have
0: easily written this as, you know, like this terrifying, you know, yeah, and instead future,
1: it's just so joyful and, yeah. and, uh, the sense of adventure and exploration and, um, uh, Uma's more than once is asked by somebody like, what are we going to do? What's the plan? Where are we going to go? And the response is like, I don't know, who cares? Yeah, wherever we want. <laughs> and I was like, oh, that's so great. It's, it, that's so great. You know, it very much reminded me of,
0: like, a Neon Genesis Evangelion, where, like, it was this huge, heavy story, but everything was bright and well-lit, and there was moments of humor, and it was beautiful to look at. I mean, it ended ugh, with a real kick in the pants, but I don't know where Joyride's <laughs> gonna go, so we'll see.
1: <laughs> well, it's just a four-issue mini, and which kind of makes me sad, because... I feel like they could tell stories of these kids on these adventures for a long time. Well, Boom is doing and a lot of this stuff as floor you know, minis to see how it see sounds. How goes, right. right. And I hope that that's true because I love this issue. Yeah, I love it, it a huge buy. Can't wait. I love you. Come on, join the joyride. So that is a double buy it for both Department H number one and joyride number one. Now it's time for you deep sea investigators and space pirate teens to play Critic. So head over to THNforums.Boards.net and tell us how badly we got these comics wrong. We didn't, but nice try. You don't know. Maybe we did. No. We could be idiots. No. Who knows? I mean, we are idiots, but for <laughs> many different reasons. <laughs> Listen to you.
0: Have no fear. Planet's here. ha. <laughs> It's Earth Day in the Ziggurat, and we have been celebrating with copious amounts of stinky weed, fertilizing our mushroom garden with the corpses of the White Walkers we mowed down last week, and helping our friend, Captain Planet, come to grips with his true self. And I am proud to report Tom Cruise. Pardon me. Captain Planet has come crashing out of the closet, loud and proud. He's here, he's queer, and he's agreed to help us set up our above-ground rain barrel water filtration system. He only played Captain Planet in one episode. Faster than we ever could, while we review ten more of this week's new comics during the Ludicrous Speed round.
1: Ludicrous Speed, go! Divinity 2, number one from Valiant. I loved the first Divinity series, and now Matt Kinn and Trevor Hairsign are back for more Cosmic Cosmonaut action. This series features another member of Abram's ill-fated crew, one much more serious about her loyalty to the Soviet state. This is a great read with beautiful art by HairSign, Inker Ryan Wynn, and colorist David Barron. You don't need to know anything about Valiant or even the first Divinity series to enjoy this book. Plus... This might be the first comic book to feature Vladimir Putin as the villain. Huh. <laughs> Divinity 2 number one gets a huge buy it. Black Eyed Kids number one from Aftershock. While
0: this might sound like the story of a group of kids that got punched in the face, it turns out to be the creepy story of some literally black eyed kids on a murderous rampage with supernatural motives. Joe Pruitt writes a convincing horror suspense story and artist. Simon Kurdansky I'm just going with Simon It's yeah, S-Z-Y I'm you know what Simon it is, Was born to draw Dark brooding panels And murderous children This was just good scary fun In the vein of Children of the Corn Even though the title Black Eyed Kids Is clunky as hell I'm giving this comic A
1: buy it B-E-K
0: Dark Souls Number one From Titan
1: I played maybe an hour of the first Dark Souls game before I realized that being punished is not my idea of a good time. Apparently, Dark Souls got way
0: better since then. Like, I heard the second one was great. Oh, no.
1: People love those yeah. games. and the
0: third one that's coming out is supposed to be, like, insane.
1: But I can't deny that those games are gorgeous. The visuals are the main draw of the comic version as well. Titan sent us the most high-res preview copy that they could find they said huge file it was like 400k or something (laughs) it was gigantic i'm glad that they did because the art by alan kwa and komikaka komikaki studio featuring Nora core tcs what (laughs) i don't know it sounds like a software you buy (laughs) the art is really breathtaking especially the colors George Mann's story is typical fantasy nonsense, which I don't mean in a Joe hates fantasy sort of way. It's just 30 pages of very familiar fantasy tropes strung together. It reads like a video game. But does anyone play the Dark Souls series for the story? Beautiful, but predictable and very familiar. Dark Souls number one gets a skim it. Sun Bakery, number one from Alternative Press. I have no idea where this title comes from, as there's nothing
0: in this American manga inspired anthology about baked goods. But instead, we get three ridiculously fun and hyperactive stories written and drawn by Corey Lewis, who gave a shark knife in the past. Arum is an open love letter to Metroid with a sense of humor. Dream Skills is a slice-of-life story about two extreme 20-something ladies living in a future where bullets don't work anymore and people fight with swords, as long as they're at the same sword level, because you don't want to be rude. And Batrider follows a skateboarding superhero chasing a sassy skateboarding villain. Lewis literally explodes his lunatic stories all over the page with the free-paneling style of Jim Mafood and has a lot of fun doing it. I loved Sun Bakery, for all the reasons I've never been able to follow Shonen Jump, strange, strangely enough. Shonen Jump is the manga anthology that Lewis based this comic on. I'm giving Sun Bakery a huge buy it. It was too much fun. Aloha, Hawaiian Dick,
1: number one from Image. I read it more <laughs> like Aloha, Hawaiian Dick, like he's about <laughs> to get it popped. Oh, okay. I remember when Hawaiian Dick came out years ago. Yeah. And I thought that I read it way back when. But after reading the recap page at the beginning of the issue, I found out that I was way wrong. Luckily, writer B. Clay Moore walks you through the twisty Tiki Noir world in two stories that weave together to form a really compelling story. It's about time we got
0: Tiki Noir.
1: Tiki Noir.
0: Add that to the list of weird comic (laughs) genres. Yeah, that's right.
1: And the art throughout is really wonderful. Jason Armstrong's work on the backup story is stylish and fits the tone perfectly. And lead artist and letterer, Jacob Wyatt, does a stunning job on the main story with his inventive layouts and his perfectly imperfect, but not sketchy, line work. It's like nothing in that story was drawn with a straight edge. Like everything was drawn freehand. Yeah. Perfectly, like it's one line. One mark for one line, not like sketchy. The guy is pretty amazing. It's really gorgeous. So it turns out I've never read Hawaiian Dick before, but this has me hooked, and I think I'll check out what I've missed. Aloha, Hawaiian Dick! Gets a huge buy it. I have read it, loved it, and you should buy this one too. It was great. Star Trek Manifest Destiny number one
0: from ID-Dubs. This is the beginning of a bi-weekly series that follows the J.J. Abrams Enterprise crew in a good old-fashioned Federation versus the Klingon story, and... As usual, writer Mike Johnson is pitch perfect with his dialogue. Artist Angel Hernandez is fantastic on the art, approximating the actors from the Star Trek films without falling into a photo reference trap. Solid story, great art, and high-stakes Klingon action. I'm beginning to think you just cannot go wrong with IDW Star Trek. Giving it up. Buy it! Been in the mood for some hot Klingon action? Tell you what. Twilight Zone, The Shadow from Dynamite, the team-up you've all been waiting for. (laughs)
1: This is an odd little book from writer David Avalone and artist Dave Acosta. And at first I didn't really understand how the two properties were being connected. But as the issue progressed, it started to become clear and I thought it was a pretty clever idea. Acosta's artist is decent and the script is well written. My problem is that I don't really know enough about the shadow. To really follow all of the twists and turns and character reveals. Well, he knows the evil that lurks in men's hearts. What, what else yeah, he do you need? Know, there's a lot. <laughs> Which I know is not necessarily the book's fault, but Avalon doesn't make any effort to explain the difference between Lamont Cranston and Kent Allard or how any of the characters in the book are supposed to be connected. It was neat, but I was pretty lost. And so Twilight Zone the Shadow gets a skimmit. You gotta say it like they said in the old commercial. Bad balls. Bad balls. Number one from Lion Forge. The assault on
0: our childhood of the 80s continues with this second ridiculous comic adaptation of the adventurous group of monstrous ugly balls. Originally sold as toys in the mid 80s, but but were recalled because they were too hard and kids were getting beamed with horn head, a cyclops with a horn. The first one. Marvel Comics put out in 1986. Yeah. Here, Glorp Gum founder Brad McGinty tells the ridiculous story of the Bizarro Bowl, followed by an origin story for the balls written and drawn by a man known only as Scarecrow Oven, who was made to illustrate Doom Metal album covers. That guy is awesome. Like in the vein of Pusshead. Very cool. There is no reason to pick this up unless, like me, you f- Loved Mad Balls back in the day and want to enjoy some silly, mindless, punny humor with great art. I unabashedly give Mad Balls number one a buy it. Also, go to GlorpGum.com. That is Brad McGinty's site. He makes gumballs with ridiculous designs on them, and they cost 22 bucks each. But the good news is, you get a free t shirt with it. <laughs> ah, I ordered one, it is awesome. <laughs> THE WALKING DEAD,
1: COLON, THE ALIEN, PARENTHES, PANEL SYNDICATE. <laughs> Remember when we reported about how Robert Kirkman convinced Brian K. Perriard, Vaughan Vaughn and Marcos Martín to let Image bring the private eye to print in exchange for letting the panel syndicate crew play in the Walking Dead sandbox? Only vaguely. Well, here it is. Vaughn and Martín take a look at how the zombie outbreak is affecting Martín's hometown of Barcelona, Spain. Vaughn makes you care about the two new characters we meet in this one shot in less than 30 pages, delivering some really great reveals and chilling moments. Martine's moody black-and-white artwork, coupled with his first-hand knowledge of the city, brings the script to life in stunning detail. Like all Panel Syndicate's books, this is a DRM-free, pay-what-you-want digital comic, even if it's nothing, and it's absolutely worthy of your support. Even if you're not a fan of The Walking Dead, or are a lapsed fan like me, this was just a really wonderful read. The Walking Dead colon the alien gets a huge buy it. Captain America, Road to War, number one from Marvel. In an attempt to fool you into
0: thinking that this comic might tie into the upcoming Civil War II event at Marvel Comics, Marvel hopes to trick you out of five bucks with this movie tie-in to the upcoming Cap Civil War movie, That essentially reintroduces the Avengers we already know from the last two Avengers movies. Through comic card level splash pages and the Black Widow's narration. There is no reason to buy this. Nothing happens. We already know these characters, and seeing them come together to fight Ultimo with no stakes whatsoever was a complete waste of my time. They threw in a reprint of Tales of Suspense number 58, too, which you guessed it, featured a dumb Silver Age fight between Cap and Iron Man. Leave this. Scoo! That is your ludicrous speed round, and Scoo! is the onomatopoeia of the week, and the sound of Batrider pulling a wicked air off some stairs, as seen in Sun Bakery, number one. Now, while we go mist our new mushroom orchard with our sexually liberated buddy, why don't you head to TwoHeadedNerd.com, where Comics Therapy podcast host and our trusty love slave, Aaron Myers, has posted some much better written and well-thought-out reviews of this week's comics in his own Ludicrous Speed Reviews.
1: They're not better written. Have you seen? You should see what I have to do to edit those (laughs) things.
0: Yeah, it does seem like he's sort of like, writing those with his thumbs on a Blackberry. <laughs> <You
1: know? laughs> the dude does not know what punctuation is. Between the death of embattled WWE diva China and Prince, the first performer to sexually confuse a young, vulnerable Matt Bomb, I'll never forget. It's been a depressing week indeed, but I've got some good news. Well, good for one of them. China's dead. Let's just get that out of the way. But it turns out Prince has simply opened his third eye and ascended to a new level of spiritual consciousness. The purple Yoda himself joins us in the THN Sanctum Sanctorum where Matt and I are communing with the androgynous sex sensei through telepathic meditation. It turns out Prince is a huge Inhumans fan. (laughs) He's even more mysterious. And wants to know... Yeah, because like, why? Yeah, weird. And (laughs) wants to know what we plan on reading next week. No comics on the actual planes, it seems, but... Bummer. Matt, what's your must-read pick for next week? Next week, I am
0: excited for Aliens Defiance number 1 from Dark Horse, written by Brian Wood, with art by Tristan Jones, who is great, by the way. 32 pages for $3.99. Here's your solicit. Battling demons from her past while fighting for her life. Colonel Marine Private First Class Zula Hendrix, great name, in the company of Wayland Yutani Synthetics, is forced to question her strength and loyalty when the discovery of an insidious alien species on a derelict hauler sends her on a dangerous journey across the stars. I want to read a good alien comic, okay? I hope you do. It has been a long time since I hope we've had do. a good alien comic. If Brian Wood can't do it, I'm saying it, nobody can. Joe Patrick, what's your pick for next week?
1: Hmm. That's bold. There you go. My pick for next week is Micronauts number one from IDW written by Cullen Bunn with art by David Baldion, who I quite enjoy. It's 40 pages for $4.99 and brace yourself because here comes the solicit. Woo. They came from a dying universe. Agro year. Space glider. Biotron. That, you know what? That was one of the mispronounced heroes we should have mentioned. A Acroyer. Acroyer. <laughs> well, is it pronounced Acroyer or Acroyer? I think it's Acroyer. I don't think anybody knows. Yeah, I don't think anyone knows. And their allies are back on the run from the evil Baron Garza and blasting through a universe where magic and science vie for control with resources dwindling the long lost time travelers. Why is that in caps? <laughs> May really want you to know they're traveling time. <laughs> may hold the key to salvation, but will it mean Armageddon for our world?
0: Personally, I wasn't interested until time travel came into it. So. Yeah, right.
1: <laughs> so we have discussed this on the show a lot. The thing that we love so much about the Micronauts don't actually have anything to do with the property. Right, the Micronauts, the Marvel Micronauts. It's is what the we thing love. that Marvel created and inserted into yeah, the Micronauts.
0: Bug is my favorite Micronaut.
1: Right. And so,
0: so he makes a tick noise for one reason or another.
1: <laughs> the Micronauts without uh, those characters. I don't know how excited I am for it, but
0: I want to make a nerd bet right now. I already wrote it in the nerd bets.
1: OK, what's the nerd bet?
0: Nerd bet is Joe Patrick doesn't give a shit about Micronauts. Number one from ITW and you have to give an honest review. I will. Uh, OK, <laughs> I mean, look,
1: if it's good, it's good. And Are you I taking will take the bet. Are you taking I, the yeah, bet? I'll take the bet. OK.
0: Joe Patrick thinks he will like it. I mean, I do like Colin Bunn. I do too, but we like Colin Bunn. I like David Baldeon. 50% of the 50, time. 50-50. You agree with that, right?
1: Yes. Okay. Yes. I mean, this comic has just as much going against it as it has going for it. Coin flip. It is a best. coin flip. But I will say the one thing that it does have in its favor, and that is this. When <laughs> I- <laughs> Nice sentence. Th- that is No. This. No. This. Colon. Okay. When I was a young lad, I had one issue- Here we go. Of- Micronauts Meet the X-Men. I'm gonna go to sleep. I'll be back in 45 minutes. No, no, no. <laughs> Micronauts Meet the X-Men. I don't remember what issue it was. It doesn't matter. But it featured my first exposure to what has become my favorite superpower of all time. I was gonna say gay sex.
0: Rocket fist. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> rocket fist.
1: Baron Karza's got rocket fist. It's true.
0: It's true. Mazinger was my first uh rocket fist.
1: Yeah, I had Shogun Warriors too, but the first time I remember looking at it and going, what the,
0: (gasps) what is he doing with his arm? Yeah, for some reason, Godzilla could shoot his fist off too.
1: Yeah, that's strange. (laughs) So if, if Baron Karza does the rocket fist in Micronauts number one, Straight up buy it. Oh, please. I won't even read it the rest of it. Just (laughs) buy it. The D.H. Ed Trade Week goes to Airboy, the
0: deluxe edition hardcover from Image Comics, written by James Robinson with art by Greg Hinkle. We're going to talk about him in a minute. 120 pages for $24.99. It's a hardcover. Yeah, it's a hardcover, man. Here's your solicit. You, you already know we have discussed Airboy extensively in the show but it was apparent yeah, we loved it It was the real life story of James Robinson and Greg Hinkle being hired to reboot Airboy and failing so badly because they were up on drugs alcohol they were on a sex binge they were terrible <laughs> people and then the real Airboy appears to them and turns their lives around.
1: Yeah. <laughs> uh, something that I will mention here because I don't I think it's Jermaine to the story we're about to review. Uh, James Robinson. Why do you got to bring Jermaine into this? <laughs> James Robinson makes a brief appearance in the Rattler graphic novel at the end, the very final scene. He does? Yes, he does. I don't want to spoil what's going on, but he is one of the people that's in the place where they are in the final scene. Okay. I didn't even uh, pick up on that. Yeah, he's the guy that says, my hair itches. Oh. That's James Robinson. Okay. And yeah, because the uh, one of the guys calls him like a like a limey prick or whatever, and that is what led to my confusion about when the Rattler was published. <laughs> because okay. I was like, "Well, James Robinson's in it." Weird. All right, there you go. But yeah, Airboy, we loved it. It was our mini series of the year. Couldn't say say enough good things about it. Was it
0: was your mini series of the year. It wasn't mine.
1: Matt, it's time for us to let Prince finish his ascension to a higher sexual plane, and for us to get back to work. So while we put some shirts on and change out of our black bikini briefs, why don't you head over to the THN forums and tell us what we should be reading next week. I'm surprised how hairy my chest got while we did this. I mean, really? Yeah, it's like being in the vicinity of him. it's just like a sexy little patch. It's like a heart.
0: Yeah, it's gross. Run your fingers through it. And (laughs) sexy. Once a month, Joe and I eat a fistful of Adderall to lift our focus to a fourth grade level so we can sit down and review an entire graphic
1: novel. This month in our Take a Look It's in a Book segment, we are reviewing writer Jason McNamara and artist Greg Hinkle's pulpy supernatural mystery, The Rattler. Uh, We found out just today that The Rattler was the product of a successful Kickstarter. Yeah, back in 2014. Funded and self-published in 2014 prior to Hinkle's work on Airboy, but... Close enough to it that it was announced, or at least Hinkle knew about it, or was already working on it. Why James Robinson was in the book, as we mentioned earlier. So, 10 years have passed since Stephen Thorne's fiance vanished without a trace, and he has grown into a prominent, bitter victims' rights crusader, sort of like John Walsh. Very much. If John Walsh had like an even
0: bigger ego,
1: despite the cold trail and the lack of leads. Thorne stubbornly refuses to give up the search, and then he begins to hear his fiance's voice in very unlikely places. And that's probably about all we're going to say about yeah, that. Yeah, we don't want to spoil too much. Yeah, this was just in the info provided from the Kickstarter. But there definitely
0: is, I mean, like, I can't say that this is a supernatural story. It could be a supernatural
1: Um, (laughs) I'll say that. I found something in the story that leads me to believe that it's real. There is a thing
0: that happens. Yes. Yes, We both agree with that. We're not going to go too far into it, but this was not the journey that I thought we were going to be taken on at all.
1: No. I mean, just to kind of sum up what we were just trying to say there is that you are left with enough doubt whether or not, Uh, what's happening to steven is real or if he's just going crazy right it's a very inception ending yes um i am of the mind that it is real and that's kind of what makes it way way worse
0: yeah (laughs) just to start us off start you off and this isn't a spoiler by any means but we already said that the main character's fiance disappears yes and they are basically they're on a road trip it's dark they're having a fantastic conversation. McNamara's dialogue is really, I can't call it completely believable because it's so good, but it's very much like a Gilmore girls level. Right. Know, like it's dialogue. like, it's very,
1: very snappy and well-written. Everyone but, like, sounds extremely real intelligent. people don't talk that way.
0: Yeah. It's very West wing, not conversational, like you know. Sorkin if you will. Yes. Yeah,
1: Sorkin esque but man,
0: it's this opening scene and they're on a highway. Their car breaks down. The woman is driving. They have no idea what to do, so they're sitting there for a while, and someone drives by in a pickup truck. They flag this person down. The person agrees to tie a rope to their bumper and pull them out of the ditch. The woman that's driving the truck says to Steven, our main character, you get out and push, help push the truck, and I'm going to have your girlfriend steer it out, right? So she pulls them out of the ditch. Steven is pushing, and then she hits the gas and takes off, slams on the brakes so that the car Hits the back of her truck to knock the girl out that's driving, that's steering it and then peels on down the highway, leaving Stephen standing there. Terrifying. Yeah, absolutely terrifying.
1: And we've come to find out that this is based on an actual event that happened. This is what's even McNamara Now, McNamara did not lose his fiance for 10 years. But the only difference is, is that when it happened to McNamara. The person, uh, the old man that stopped to help them, used a rope and not a chain. Right, and the rope broke, and that's how they got away. And so
0: McNamara wrote this story, basically based on what, what if they didn't get away? If this guy had a chain and took my girlfriend, what would have happened from there? From there, we flash forward in the story ten years, and we see Stephen as this victim rights activist that's written several books and has taken such a hard line on offenders that he's become like. This famous face to a lot of people that he's helped put away, essentially. And he is attacked by one of those offenders in his home, which Stephen was going to make sure this guy never got out of jail. And he has nowhere he can live. He has nowhere to go. It's sort of yeah, this dude's life is ruined. It sort of speaks to these uh, like sexual offender laws that have been passed that are so strict that sexual offenders that get out of prison have literally nowhere to go.
1: Yes, what they did is very, very bad and they deserve to pay for what they did. But are we really giving up the pretense that we're supposed to be rehabilitating? Right. But Steven is such a hardliner that he
0: doesn't care. He's not just this good guy. He is driven by his wife's fanatical by his fiance's. Yeah. Disappearance to an absolute fanatical level. And that is really where the story kicks in. We see, I'm not going to go into what happens when yeah, he is from, attacked because I don't want to spoil anything. Yeah,
1: from kind of right around that point uh, is where the story, the story goes off in a direction that may or may not be supernatural. And he starts out on this quest to find the woman. That he believes is still alive somewhere.
0: Also fantastically rich. He sort of built this empire on speaking and writing books and TV shows. And so the people that he works with are desperately trying to follow him to figure out what is happening to him during his life. This was such a dark, mean, nasty read. And it's like the good guys are just as bad as the criminals and the deviants yeah. that they deal with. Uh,
1: and he does come across
0: some deviants. Man, and Greg Hinkle, who it's so strange to see him going from Airboy, which was comedic and funny, at times disgusting, yeah. to this, where we get graphic depictions of dismemberment, of murder, of really gnarly sexual actions. I, I just wasn't prepared for this. But I didn't in, know what I was getting into. In fact... He went from this into Airboy. So right. it was, we saw it out of war. Yeah,
1: right. This was published, uh, self published in 2014. But if you didn't donate to the Kickstarter, then you never saw it. It was picked up by Image and re released just this year. Right. And when I read about the Kickstarter, uh, it's actually one of the rare gems of Kickstarter that was 100% completed. Go figure. Before they even launched the campaign. Somebody did it right? Which means (laughs) not only did they deliver on all of their promises but they shipped their product early. That's awesome. But because the Kickstarter launched in 2014, the book was already drawn. It's been at least three or four years since he drew this book. Right. Uh, He had to have started drawing it at least a year ahead of that. I'm sure.
0: I would say. His art though was truly amazing in this. Yeah, it's, it was creepy when it needed to be. It was very
1: thick black kinetic and when it gray needed tones. to be. Yeah. yeah. Very visceral and and brutal. And then there are splashes of red. And that's kind of what like Yeah. you're already reading a scene that's quite violent. And then there are these splashes of red and it kind of makes it worse in a way that's really complementary to the art. Yeah. When you're invested in a good, you know, horror movie or thriller or whatever and it's just that kind of punctuation that drives home that moment right. is, is this splash of really gory looking red. I thought it was beautiful. All in all, I think this was a really
0: good creepy pulp mystery that both of these creators obviously poured their hearts into. I'm giving this a gigantic buy it. It was a fun feel bad read. Right. Exactly. With, uh, again, with just a kick in the stomach for the end, and <laughs> which is a,
1: how this story should end. It shouldn't have a happy ending. And right, it does. It's, it's <laughs> it kind of reminded, it reminds me of like a uh, movies like breakdown. Yeah. With Kurt Russell, where it's just like something very awful has happened. Right. And, Every single person that the hero of the piece meets is complicit in it and he's got nobody in his corner and it's just grim and gross. Yeah. And the things that he discovers in his journey are not good. What I was so impressed by is that this book is only 97 pages, give or take and there is so much happening yeah there are so many but it doesn't feel rushed no I
0: think it's paced perfectly yeah all the characters voices don't overlap each other There are
1: definite people I, this was just really well executed I enjoyed yeah. the hell out of it this sort of thing is not always my cup of tea this was done so well and it was so compelling I couldn't put it down see I thought it was gonna be too dark for you I'm surprised. Hey, I mean you know I'm not a baby yes but- you are you are a baby <laughs> I really enjoyed it. I'm giving it a buy it as well. Pick it up. It was really good. So that's a double buy it for the Rattler. Pick it up. You will not regret it unless, like me, you are a big baby. It's true. Next month on Take a Look, we are going to dive into Blast Furnace, colon, Recreational Thief. Which just sounds like you picked three random words. (laughs) It is the next graphic novel from Ryan Brown, the creator of God Hates Astronauts. That explains that. And it was sent to us in a care package from our good buddy Hebrews. Oh guy. He's just a loner, though. We got to give it back, so we got to treat
0: we do. What, he's going to come get it? <laughs> he might. <laughs> yeah, you're right. His name is Hebrews.
1: Sort of break it, break it
0: down like this. And that is it. For the Earth Day episode of THN, if you dig podcasts that espouse the powerful benefits of urine to reduce fungus in your compost, you can subscribe to this show on iTunes, Stitcher, Tune in or anywhere quality podcasts are sold. And while you're there, leave us your star ratings, reviews, thumbs up and hearts. It helps us to connect with other potential listeners. It is so important. If you like this show, that is a fantastic way to help us out.
1: Thank you very much to all of our donors. You are the only thing that sustains this show because no company in their right mind will sponsor us. No, sir. <laughs> if you want to help support THN, you can do so by clicking our PayPal button at twoheadednerd.com. And to become a sustaining member, simply check the Make This Donation Monthly box when you donate. Remember, as little as a buck a month really does help. If you're interested in sponsoring THN, shoot us an email with a separate line, sponsorship. If you want to yell at us personally, head over
0: to TwoHeadedNerd.com. You can find links to all of our contact info. Periscope, we're on it right now. Twitter, YouTube, where we're going to be posting movie reviews. Facebook, Tumblr, where we post the outtake of the week, and, of course, the Ziggurat Hotline,
1: 402-819-4894. That is how you can play with us on this show. If you dig the music you hear on the show, you can subscribe to our soundtrack playlist on Spotify by searching for Matt Bombs' Spotify profile. I hope that this episode has a whole lot of Prince songs in it. Oh, except it won't, because Prince, they pulled all his music off yeah, of everything. doesn't stream shit. Last wow. thing and don't forget to go
0: answer the question of the week. You can use that phone number or send us an email, twoheadednerd at gmail.com. Before we go, our weekly shout-out goes to the man who makes all of this possible, Mr. Max Riffner, who celebrated a birthday this week. If it wasn't for Max, we'd be posting this show on Reddit where it would be summarily insulted to death and scrolling our comic industry think pieces on the wall at the Legend Comics and Coffee Bathroom. Where do you,
1: Max? It's a really nice bathroom. <laughs> it is. Happy birthday,
0: and thanks for all you do to make us look good. Until next time, true believers. Remember to pre-order your comics, or your retailer might downvote your Reddit threads to oblivion. This is the Two-headed Nerd signing. <laughs> the game.